if you're not happy at your workplace or you're not happy in your personal life, like take those changes to, to make yourself happy, you know, yeah. make those changes, step up and do that because, you know, we only, we're all, this is only one life to live and we can't, if we feel like we're trapped or if we feel like there's nothing we can do about it, like take that energy that you have into complaining and channel it into making a change. Welcome to My Health and Safety, the podcast designed to bridge the gap between your personal and workplace wellness. I'm Tamara Misevich-Healy, a passionate health and safety professional who strives to help create a happier and healthier world. Workplace health and safety is simply a continuation of our personal health and safety, but we often feel powerless at work. You know where we currently spend over a third of our life? Although it may feel hopeless to integrate the two, I'm here to challenge that it's very much within reach and is absolutely necessary for our long-term well-being. Now, let's learn how to take things from powerless to powerful. Hello, and welcome back to the My Health and Safety podcast. Today's episode, we're going to discuss community and quality of life, what that looks like at home and what that looks like in the workplace. And are these really two separate things or do we need to start looking at them under one lens, more of a holistic approach? Today's guest is going to be Gus Fahey with a local nonprofit in Northeast Pennsylvania called Valley in Motion. And he's become a good friend of mine, and I'm really excited to have him on the podcast today. So, Gus, why don't you tell us a little bit more about you? Sure. Thanks, Tammy. I really appreciate you having me on the show. Um, so, I am a, a product of Northeastern Pennsylvania. I was born and raised in Scranton, and, um, uh, and I, I just moved back here with my family seven years ago. Uh, and so I've had, um, I've had a wonderful upbringing here and I've had a very interesting career as well. So I've just uh, worked at different kinds of jobs from cartography to computer programming to being a foreign affairs officer in the State Department and, uh, and also worked in the nonprofit world as well as an employee and then also as a board member of several nonprofits. And so now Valley in Motion is, uh, is a nonprofit that focuses on quality of life and community building in the Northeastern Pennsylvania area. Awesome. And we are so thankful to have you in our area. Um, like you, I was born and raised in Northeast Pennsylvania and kind of left the area for opportunity as I was finishing education, looking for jobs, and also moved back to the area uh, once I was going to start a family because this is home, right? <laughs> so this Valley in Motion, um, how did you specifically get involved with that group now? Well, the board was looking to expand their mission to do more quality of life and community building initiatives. And so they were looking for a new executive director to, uh, to, to help them lead them in that work. And, um, so that's how I got involved. I was, I was hired as the president, um, to get 
this um, new partnerships going so that we collaborate more in the work that we're doing and to take advantage of a lot of the, the interests and the energy that people are have and are bringing to the region and to make sure that new initiatives get off the ground and that they're successful. Awesome. Yeah. So has this always been an interest of yours? Like kind of the community development. I know you have this awesome education background as well with conflict management and you've done great work overseas. So does this kind of feel like a space that you're finally really excited to be engaged in now? You know, when I left uh, Northeastern Pennsylvania at the age of 18, I always did want to come back and um, and have this sort of be my my lasting contribution to society. That's so, awesome. yeah, I always dreamed of uh, of like starting my own school or oh. starting my own business. Oops. Um, and and so now, um, I, you know, I have an opportunity to do that. Yeah. And I, I thought when I left, oh, I'll come back when I retire. Yep. <laughs> but I'm glad. I know. <laughs> you know, I'm glad I came back, you know, sooner than that. And and then I still have, you know, uh, a lot of work years left into, into really, you know, pursuing this kind of passion. For sure. And that's what I absolutely love when I met you is that your passion just like overflows. Um, so it gets me so excited and I was so excited to get you on this podcast so we could continue these conversations and just share them with everybody. So I guess let's start transitioning then to community and quality of life. Yeah. So really, what does that all mean? Um, you know, I work in this space a lot as well with health and safety and a huge promoter of, you know, building healthy communities and culture and, mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people kind of look at those terms as just woo-woo, if I should say. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's hard for people to really wrap their head around um, because it's not, you know, a simple, tangible item. Um, so I guess how would you explain, like, tackling, addressing community, quality of life? Mm-hmm. What does that really mean um, to help people really get a grasp of that? Right. Well, I really like your use of the word culture because um, people think it's woo-woo because they can't physically touch it. Yeah. But it's all around us. Yep. And it shapes the way that we think about things. It shapes the way that we do things. And our thoughts and our ideas really drive our actions. Yep. So when we talk about a culture and, and what are those dominant um, parts of our culture that drive our action, it's a really important you know, piece to explore. For sure. But to talk about quality of life for a moment, um, you know, usually there are measures out there for quality of life and they usually have to do with income, uh, physical health, um, you know, this quality of schools, uh, crime rates, things yeah. like that. And those are all important measures, but the way that we perceive them is usually through the lens of community. That's usually the way that mm. we experience that. So, so your income isn't necessarily a low income if you have a, a low expenses and your, um, and the way that you experience safety has to do with the, the, your sense of belonging in a community. Do you feel like you know enough people? Do you feel like you know your neighbors or do you know enough people around you so that people are watching out for you? People care about you. People have your back. And so, so when we're looking at quality of life, we're also thinking about sort of the psych, we're thinking about the physical things, but also psychological. So physical things could be, do you have places to walk or bike? 
or, or recreate? Do you have recreational opportunities around you? And recreation can mean a whole number of things. And uh, when you have those, then you think to yourself, oh, I live in a place where there's things to do. And we can even look at culture in the, in the other form of, you know, is there music? Is there plays? Is there, um, you know, is there a restaurant scene? You know, are there, are there, uh, yeah, are, are there different exciting and interesting things to experience while you're living in a community? Yes. So that's really the, um, so quality of life to me and community are inextricably linked and that, and that, um, and so when we make changes to our community, then it affects our quality of life. Oh, I love all of that. Um, and I think stressing the point of that interconnectedness of it all mm-hmm. is huge. Mm-hmm. And then also the relativity of it all, kind of like you mm-hmm. said, you know, this amount of money in this area, you know, isn't necessarily comparable to this amount of money in another area um, mm-hmm. and how things are related within your community and Yes, just looking at things at that bigger picture um, right. and connectivity, because right. I think especially, you know, today with things like social media, mm-hmm. we're constantly comparing so much that, um, mm. you know, maybe it's not as easily comparable and maybe that's messing with our perceptions, too, rather than our smaller local communities so right. yeah, lots to think about. I love that. I love how you started with, uh, you know, that this is connected, that it's not a simple, you know, quality of life is one simple thing and that it can really be impacted by that larger community right. um, setting. Right. Right. So from here, um, mm-hmm. so it's all interconnected. Okay, yeah. well, how, how do we measure this to know mm. even like a baseline of where we're at to know where to improve right. upon, right? I guess before right. we could start working towards community and quality of life, we have to have some sense of what does that look like? How do we measure that to know where, yeah, our strengths and weaknesses are and where to get started? So how would we measure something right. like this? Yeah. Well, that's a really important question for me as well, because we can't really have programs um, until we know sort of where we're at. We can't have programs unless we're able to measure progress. So we need a baseline uh, and then we need to show, be able to prove that we're, we're making a difference. Uh, and so when it comes to quality of life, you know, I mentioned that there are sort of these very uh, quantitative factors, uh, but then there's also a measure out there called the well-being index that to me is a much better um, measure of, of, uh, of our experience in our communities. And, and, and the good thing is that that well-being index is something that's already being measured across the United States. And so you really, you can look up your community in, in any of, I think, 288 uh, metro areas oh, wow. that, um, yeah, that, has, that has certain things measured. And so they really break it up into five categories. It's social, community, financial, physical, and purpose, sense of purpose. So um, not that I have these in the right order, but physical health has to do with um, really it's not about like your level of fitness, but whether you can do the things in your life that you need to get done. So it, do you have limitations that are holding you back? physically. So that's just, that, that's one aspect of it. Social is 
do basically sense of belonging. Do you have people that are, do you have supportive people in your life? Do you have love in your life? Hmm. Community is, do you like where you live? Uh. That's a big thing. And do you, you know, do you feel safe? And do you feel community pride? So sense of purpose then is self-explanatory, you know, that has, that really gets at, you know, why you're doing what you're doing in your community and um, missing. Oh, and then financial. Yeah. So the financial part, once again, doesn't have to do with your, your gross income, but is, do you have stresses related to your finances? Related to that, so those five things sort of go into this well-being index, and so you can look up, you know, where your community falls. And for us in northeastern Pennsylvania, interestingly, we rank rather relatively high on the social scale. That means we have, you know, supportive people and love in our life, oh. and then we rank extremely low in the community part. Yeah. We don't like where we live. We don't feel safe. We don't have community brought. So yeah. it's a really interesting, um, you know, difference there. Like we like the people that we're living with. We feel close to them and, and that we also don't like where we live. Uh, and so what to me that suggested was that it not only has to, we not only have to be doing good works, quality works, works that improve the quality of life. But we also have to change the story of our communities to change the narrative that we are a place of innovation. We are a place of progress. We are a place of the future. We are a place where you can get things done. We are a kind people. We are a community oriented people. So to me, it's almost like a propaganda campaign. You have to make you do the works, but then you also connect it to this common narrative of good things so that people feel like they're in a place of importance, that they're yeah. in a place where they can make a difference. And what, as I mentioned before, like those ideas that are in people's heads, those are really what drive action. And so to have a whole community feeling like, um, you know, we, we might have been, we might have gone through a long period of economic compression. But now things are different. We're resilient people. You know, we battled through that and now our population is finally starting to tick up again. And now we have new people moving into the area that bring new energy, that bring new ideas and that we should really tap into that, take advantage of, of new people from different places and, and really make sure that uh, we build a community that's stronger than it was before. But really it takes those ideas that um, that are that are going. That's really the latent energy. People are sitting back, just not contributing all they can to their community. And if they're sparked, you know, you really can get a lot done. Oh, God, Gus, I love this. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know that that all sits fantastic with me. Um, I love what you're saying. So about kind of this snowball effect, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I jotted down here because um, people that aren't familiar necessarily with Northeast Pennsylvania, um, we are most famously like kind of known as a coal region, right? And a lot of people immigrated here and we we're this booming city that just grew and spread out to all these great little suburbs, small coal mining towns. And um, once coal mining and textiles um, left, we suffered, our region suffered a lot, and we kind of hit a 
lull for years. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, I was like to my parents, like, why would you ever move here out of anywhere in the world? Here we are, you know, in Northeast PA and this is boring and I can't wait to get out. Um, but you know what? So much has happened. And as I got Mm -hmm. older and you start realizing some of these quality of life factors, um, I feel like I really look at our area much differently Mm -hmm. and, you know, we are a very safe community. We have this very, very rich culture and heritage and we are very social. And what's really cool is I feel like over the last 10, 15, 20 years, we've started that snowball of, you know, let's re-identify ourselves. Let's bring in new jobs, new markets, a new brand. And, you know, it started really slow. A lot of people put in a ton of effort to get that movement going, but, you know, you don't see it right away. I feel like we're only really starting to see it now, but I feel like we are really starting to see it. So yeah, a couple of really dedicated people who just keep at it, keep at it. And then, you know, more and more people see what's going on and they start saying, hey, I want to be, you know, involved. Right. And I know both of us can definitely vouch for that as we're both, you know, in this space as, you know, I'm trying to also do things in the community because I'm back. Mm-hmm. I see the great things happening. I want to help, you know, my small town. And um, the more and more we do, the more people are reaching out because yeah. people want change. Yeah. People love their home as well. Mm-hmm. People just don't always know what they can do or how they can make a difference. Right, right. And I think we also have to recognize there there was a reason for this narrative. You know, yeah. we went through a multi-generational decline. Uh, and for me, um, but between the time I was born and the time I graduated high school, Scranton lost one-fifth of its population. Wow. You know, what does that do to the mindset of, of people that are then left behind? You know, it really does, you really end this feeling like, oh my God, I got to hold on to my piece of the pie. And, yeah. and you know, somebody says they're going to do something better. Well, I haven't seen anything better. And so, yep. Yep. you know, if they fail, then, hey, that just justifies me not doing anything. Yep. So your timeline is actually, I think that's pretty consistent with the data. Like the decline for this, for this area stopped around 2000. I mean, it finally population decline finally started to level off. And I think you're really also right in that it does take a few people to spark. I mean, leadership really is crucial. Leadership does make a difference in changing the conversations that people have. And so the work that you're doing where you live and, and I mean, that's really important to, to get the momentum going. I mean, that snowball effect, I think it really is true. And so yeah. these, these larger dynamics are in force. You know, we can't sort of minimize that or deny that, but leadership really does make a crucial, crucial, um, difference. And, yeah. and so, as I said, like it, there's this latent energy that's sitting there that needs to be sparked. And once that person goes out there, might get a lot of criticism at first, but you know, you just keep on powering through. And when you're successful, other people will join in. Yep. Yep. Love it. So one more thing I wanted to ask you about that wellness survey. Um, so you said there's a ton of cities and places that have done this survey. Is it, do you have to, so if listeners are interested in this survey in their city, um, 
the city has to fund the survey or how does that work? Well, right now there's an organization called Share Care Inc., which is a health information services company that's nationwide that does the survey. And every three or four years, you know, they do an update. So, so right now you just sort of, um, you just look at what the index is and you can find out. But if you're planning on doing a project that increases, that moves these numbers, you would really want to do a more intensive survey, use those same questions in a more intensive area that you're really going to be focused on. And so, you know, we had talked about doing that in Scranton, really focused on a particular place. And then, and then when you do the intervention, then you can see what the impact is if you do sort of a more intensive survey. Okay. But the general survey, is that available to anybody? It is. If you just look up well-being index. Okay. Awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. Because like we said, it's important to kind of have that baseline. Really interesting things about Scranton with the social, but the community. Mm-hmm. I could definitely see that. I feel like we're very... uh social rich uh heritage yeah. here yeah. and we're really building on that community yeah. stuff now and trying yeah. to bring all of us more together yeah um, yeah we're a provincial people and you know we're really focused we really love our kind of home communities and yeah i think like we're really focused on not only our family but like a close set of friends and i think that is one of the things that came with this contraction like you go to your strengths and, you know, I, I love my little place that's, that, that I live in and, and the community that I have, but I don't really have faith in sort of the broader dynamics that are affecting yes. everything around me. And so, yes. you know, that's, once again, that has its strengths and that has its place, but really now it's time to grow it. So take that love you have for your friends and your family and then extend it so that you're welcoming to new people and new neighbors that are moving your community. Because that's really what's happening. And these new people that are moving in, they're going to, they are the energy, they are the spark for new restaurants, for new businesses, for new people that are shoveling the sidewalks of our elderly neighbors or, you know, and so like established residents really need new residents and new residents really need established residents because we're still a community where it works on word of mouth. And so if you know the right person and you can get the right job, you know, our our institutions aren't necessarily strong. So we really de- depend on this human relational network, the social capital to get things done. And so as new people move into the community, you really have to welcome them if they're going to be successful. And we wow. need them to be successful. For sure, right? I love how you just explained that. It's like everything I've always known growing in this area, but you just explained it very well with that. You know, I felt always felt like we were this very diverse heritage area, you know, really strong Irish, really strong Italian, really strong Polish. And um, yeah, and you kind of did stay with your little cultural niches for a lot of things. But, um, you know, I have seen some of those really small um, groups expanding to welcome more people, kind of like the uh, Italian uh, fest, you know, in Scranton, everybody, no matter, you know, if you're Italian or not, mm-hmm. and the Irish um, St. Patrick's Day parade. And right. Yeah. So, yeah, so we uh, really have yeah. to expand that sense of who belongs mm-hmm. beyond, you know, our immigrant forebears in Europe to yep. to those current immigrants from, you know, Latin America, from Africa, from Asia, you know, there's um, so that that um, that that 
that sense of our identity that's really still, you know, 100 years later, still connected to our immigrant path, past, you know, that's just expand the circle a little bit, just expand the aperture and let other people get into that identity of, of yeah. you know, the hardworking immigrant mentality that we have. Yeah, for sure. I must say I'm not Irish or Italian. Mm. And growing up, I always felt a little strange being a part of some of the festivals because I felt, you know, like maybe I'm being fake or mm -hmm. like this isn't for me to mm -hmm. celebrate. But it's I feel like definitely does not feel that way at all anymore. Mm -hmm. Like now it's just more of like, let's all just celebrate this mm -hmm. and let us teach you about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So awesome. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Great things happening in our area. If you haven't been to Scranton, Pennsylvania, come to Scranton, Pennsylvania. <laughs> I will send you a guide of top things to do, uh, give you resources if you are interested. You yeah. know, I could always reach out, um, definitely promote all now that. Now that you're talking about that, I have a perfect reason for people to come to Scranton on April uh, 30th. So I hope this podcast goes out before then. <laughs> we'll make sure it does. <laughs> April 30th, there is a 5K that's being run in downtown Scranton that's going to go past all of the major sites of the office that are mentioned in the office. And so you can, you can run this 5k or walk it, have fun. Uh, it's at one o'clock. So to better accommodate the post race party afterward. And that will sort of, um, yeah, it's just going to be a lot of fun, but it's a great reason to come to Scranton. Um, so yeah, just look up the office5k.com. And um, and you can register for the race and and find out more about it. But that's I have to register. Yeah, yeah. ain't no party like a Scranton party. That's right. We'll leave that there. <laughs> In the fair, yeah. All right. So I'm going to transition us a little bit now. So I know we started talking about you know this community and quality of mm -hmm. life, how we can start measuring that. I want to kind of challenge you now, mm -hmm. Gus. To what do you think about community and quality of life with the workplace. Mm -hmm. yeah. Do you think that it completely flows over into the same measurements mm -hmm. that we should still be considering these same quality of life things in the workplace? Mm -hmm. um, or do you think that it is vastly different and should have a different set of measurements for wellness? Um, mm -hmm. Just your opinions on that, you know, being in this space, um, me being in the workplace, health and safety space, I would love to hear your opinion. Yeah. Work is one of the most crucial places where we promote community well-being because that's this place where we spend, you know, most of our time. So if it's not with the people we're at or the, you know, sort of the policies that we live in, it's those places that we're at that sort of either establish or reinforce healthy habits and healthy habits, not just in physical health, but in social and psychological and sense of purpose. I mean, work is really where we, uh, where many people define, um, you know, what they're doing in life, like their, their purpose in life. You know, not everybody finds that in, in their workplace, but people really do want to be energized and engaged. And that's one of the crucial things that, that keeps people at a workplace and reduces turnover. And then if you're healthy on top of that, then it reduces all sorts of other costs, you know, healthcare costs. That are, that are a major, you know, a major employee cost. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's very important. And uh, I mean, I can think of things just off the top of my head that, that could be really uh, important for a workplace to implement. You know, do, do you have a place for people to eat a healthy lunch? Do you have an opportunity for people to, to take a break, to sort of walk around? 
to get a little exercise during a break or during lunch? And then do people really feel like they're valued and that they have um, meaningful impact in their work? Because that sort of that those feedback mechanisms really get at a sense of purpose. Does somebody else value what you're saying? Does somebody else value the the your contribution? You know, your advice, and uh, and that's that whole feedback loop is really important. And that so there's some things that that are kind of policy oriented. You do on uh, uh, overall workplace, and that's that. You know, the, is the cafeteria serving, you know, healthy alternatives? And, uh, you know, what's your break schedule policy like? But then there's other stuff that you really, it really is important on an individual level. Um, so, you know, as, as a manager, how are you responding to your employee needs? Um, and how are you re- re- receiving feedback from there? Um, although now that I mentioned that, that can also be a policy thing too, you know, that there's these avenues for feedback that, that, um, you know, can be escalated based on sort of the severity of it. And then the final piece is what you discussed before, culture. You know, do you have a culture of openness? Do you have a culture of listening to suggestions from all levels of the organization? Does everybody have a, 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 an opportunity to contribute? Do you have a culture of overwork? Do you have a culture of working through lunch? <laughs> Do you have, so forget yeah. about whether there's yeah. a walking path, you know, around the plant. You know, if, if everybody's yeah. working through lunch, then, you know, nobody's standing up and getting a break. And, you know, they say now that like sitting is the new smoking. <laughs> you know, so like just opportunities to, to, to take a break, to take a mental break, but then also to take a, have, you know, this time that you're at work to have some physical movement is really critical for long-term health and well-being of a workforce. Yes. So I'm going to summarize pretty much what I'm getting from you. And it's that everything you're saying with this community and quality of life is the same things I consider working with workplace health and safety. Right. And I must tell you, as I continue to progress in my professional and personal life, I have actually come to this conclusion that all systems Mm. operate incredibly similar. Mm. So the way I assess myself individually is very similar to how I assess an organization, which is very similar to how I assess an entire community. Health and safety, it rolls over in all of them. Um, And as also being a business owner, like the health and safety of even my business in terms of its life, operationally, financially, it all comes back to the same system, the same root system. And I just think that if we can simplify that, pull back all those complicated, messy layers, um, we can really like address this at the root in so many ways that improve individual health, organizational health, and society's health. Um, so kind of how you mentioned, you know, uh, those quality of life measurements that you touched on, uh, those are still incredibly important in the workplace, yeah. right? Like you mentioned, you know, having that sense of culture, identity, mm-hmm. purpose, um, 
that's very important to us each individually, right? Mm -hmm. We all need to know why do we get up in the morning? Mm -hmm. You know, why are we doing anything we're doing? We need a purpose. Um, Well, an organization, you need a purpose for why you're an organization, right? Why are people going to buy your product? Why are they going to buy your service, right? You need a purpose or you have no purpose, right? There has to be a purpose for you. And you have to make that very clear if you want to be successful. And then the same goes into larger, right? Into communities, like what to have a healthy one, you also want to have kind of a purpose, an identity, a why, a, you know, a support structure. Um, So it's interesting to hear, you know, how these things really do flow over and by addressing them and simplifying it and sharing that knowledge and that framework, we could really make huge changes and really support each other because, you know, we don't have to keep reinventing necessarily the wheel. It's like, let's measure it with this and let's, you know, build from that. Yeah. I, I similarly like to look at things in terms of concentric circles. So something from conflict resolution, problem solving is that, you know, does the problem, does it, does it lie on the, the individual level? Does it lie on the relationship level? And sort of, I'm growing out here. Does it, does it rely, is, is the problem, um, an institutional problem? Sort of the rules and procedures and customs associated with the institution? Or is it in the system level? Sort of the society level systems that are there? So sort of identifying where the problem lies then, you know, helps you how to, to think about addressing it or where you need to, to have the intervention. And then similarly, I think about, um, sort of my own ability to affect change. You know, it starts with the, the health of, if I don't, if I'm not, if I'm not a personally healthy individual, then um, I kind of have to take care of that first. But then the wider concentric circle is my, you know, friends and family. If, if they're not healthy, if they're not doing well, then I sort of have to retreat back and sort of take care of them. And unless they're being taken care of, I really can't contribute to my broader community. And then I can't really contribute to my country. Or I can't contribute to my world unless these other things are sort of, you know, taken care of for me. So I think like it really does start with that core of self-care. And, um, and then it also can help explain too why there are others that are maybe not contributing to their community. Well, they might be focused on problems with it that they have themselves yeah. or like with their core group of friends and family. Yeah. If there's a, if there's a problem in there. If there's care that needs to happen there, then, you know, you really don't have the bandwidth to sort of go further than oh, Gus, I'm so excited for you to listen to my first couple episodes <laughs> when they come out because they're all about um, the hierarchy of needs and my oh, interpretation right. of hierarchy of needs. And yeah. They really go into that. So if you haven't listened to those episodes yet, uh, definitely mm-hmm. go back and listen to those, uh, once this okay. one is published. But yeah, and it, it talks about that, how, you know, you have to be so far along and so secure in your needs before you mm-hmm. can progress up to those right. higher level needs. Um, yeah. you know, so right. great conversations there. And I mean, we could definitely go into all that. I'd love to have another you know, date with you where we can discuss all of this. Um, but yeah, so related to that whole concept, um, with work and these measurements and, you know, how it translates over, I must say, since I started working in the community work, Mm -hmm. um, I find that it's much easier to get community people on board than 
workplaces <laughs> um, mm. with some of these like quality of life um, wellness initiatives. So mm-hmm. health and safety for my entire career, pretty much until I started kind of doing things on my own now, it's really been mostly safety. And although mm-hmm. um, psychological hazards are a consideration in the hazards category, um, does not get much attention. And honestly, n- wellness overall doesn't get much attention in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Right. In America, in places at least that I've, you know, consulted at or seen or, um, and there's different degrees and stuff, but I'm really trying to make the case of, you know, we need to start looking at this broader, um, mm-hmm. you know, that it's not as simple as, you know, are they wearing a hard hat, you know, and mm-hmm. so many people I've been consulting with and talking with lately since the pandemic, these past couple very stressful years, they're like, you know, we've invested more money, we've done more trainings than ever, and we're just seeing such high incident rates. And, you know, we don't know what's going on because we're doing everything that we're told and we're following, you know, regulations. And uh, I don't know if I've ever really gotten into this with you yet, but a part of my program with my safety sense is this concept of hazardous states. And they're actually mm-hmm. like these states of mind that aren't Mm. a hazard in and of themselves, but they greatly increase your risk of making a mistake or injury or illness. Um, Mm -hmm. So they're kind of these mindsets that we have to be aware of. And one of them is like internal distraction. And Mm. uh, I describe that one as, you know, it could be any emotions, um, anything, any distraction internally. So it could even be sickness. It could be, you know, stress, anxiety. So if you have a workforce who's scared, they're stressed, um, that's greatly increasing the risks of making a mistake. Another hazard Mm -hmm. state is fatigue. We are all so exhausted, right? Mentally, physically, we have the kids at home. We're trying to finagle everything. Um, you know, financial, Everything is inflated and financially our security is, we have no idea. So the stress is just at this all time high. Um, and you know, organizations aren't considering that. So they're thinking, okay, this person, you know, messed up again, but we're not looking at why, you know, why, like when a, mach- a piece of machinery malfunctions, we, th- we do this insane investigation and what exact piece and why and make sure it never happens again. And, but when humans make a mistake, we mm-hmm. tend to just be like, Oh, Bob, like Bob's fault yeah, again. Right. We don't look at it's almost like it's, yeah, it's just too complex to sort of deal with, you know? Yeah. Um, and but- you know, and I think, um, that incorporating some of these just larger scale wellness quality of life factors into the workplace can actually get to the root of more of the problems, you know, and really. I see you speaking multiple languages when you're, when you're trying to, you know, express workplace uh, safety. So it's not just financial, but it's emotional or it's community oriented uh, or culture oriented. Yeah, these are different languages that that appeal to different audiences. Yeah, and you know, I think you know everybody can understand the sort of the dollars and cents part of it. Um, so, but but to be have this ability to speak different languages, then I think can be um, 
yeah, a, a comparative advantage um, to to others that are thinking about it in just dollars and cents. Yeah. Um, so I want to transition because I know that you're really involved in this blue zone initiative for as an opportunity potentially for Northeast Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think th- this will help us even um, begin to explore a little bit more of this at home versus at work connection. Um, mm-hmm. As we kind of go into what are some of the factors that make blue zones, blue zones, mm-hmm. um, because we'll really start to see that, you know, you can't care about, you know, movement and, diet or things like that at home and then just drop it all when you're in the workplace, right? Mm, right. Our lives aren't separate. Although we like to call this like a work-life balance, I really hate that because it really gives this visual of like, oh, here's work, here's life. They're these separate things. They should be equal. Um, when in reality, here's work, here's life, blah, you know, it's very integrated. Yeah, um, it's yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's not so much a balance as it is just finding a healthy combination. Um, and for so long, I, you know, our culture of work in America has been that they are separate. And I really want to kind of pull them together and look at them in a different light. Um, kind of has, as I was saying about like these hazardous states, you know, we can't just not consider people's mental well-being or these states that also play a role. If we really want to address hazards and reduce injuries and illnesses, we can't just overlook all of this really important stuff. Um, so we'll transition to blue zones and we'll get into some more specific examples. So first, I want you to kind of explain um, how you're getting involved in blue zones briefly just like how that kind of came up as a part of valley emotion and what blue zone really is right well so when i first got to valley emotion it was i was a monitoring and evaluation specialist at the state department and i wanted to know how are we going to be measure our success so that's when i happened upon this well-being index and then and and then learned that the organization that put that together uh share care is also involved in these interventions that they call blue zones, uh, blue zones work. And it's based on the experiences of people around the world that live in these communities where people live to a hundred years old at these incredible high rates. So the three to five times, uh, people live to a hundred, three to five times the rate of the, the normal U.S. citizen. And it's all over the, it's these places that are distributed throughout the world. You know, there's one in Japan. There's, uh, there's one in Costa Rica. One in uh, Italy, uh, Sardinia, an island off Italy, and one in Greece. Uh, and then one in the United States, one in Loma Linda, California. So, but, so people are living for these uh, incredible long times. They did this National Geographic intensive study on it. And what they found is that it has nothing to do with like our individual self-discipline, but it has so much to do with the environment that we're living in. You know, do people have a, are, do, are people walking or biking or gardening? Is there movement that's sort of incorporated into their day? And so these communities are not necessarily high tech. I mean, a lot of them are low tech. And so people are hanging up their laundry or people are gardening for, you know, for a significant portion of their food during the warmer months. Um, people feel a sense of purpose. So generally older communities there, 
they're, um, they're, they're even after they retire from work, they're still very much valued in, uh, in consultation and in keeping the culture going in, in history. And they're just valued members of society. Often these communities have a strong uh, religious identity, uh, strong sense of faith. Then there's also definitely a strong social component to it. So like even uh, in, in four out of the five communities after work, people go get together, like get a drink. I miss those days. There's this period of like blowing off, you know, blowing off steam yeah. and, and also sort of getting together, you know, not yeah. alcoholism, but just yeah. sort of getting together and having a this relaxation, de-stress, little ritual. Yeah. 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 And then, yeah, so there's these different lessons learned from each one of these communities. But the idea of the Blue Zones work in the United States is that how can you apply the lessons learned from Blue Zones so that we can improve our own communities to make them, um, you know, really to make the environment more conducive to health. So make the healthy choice the easy choice. You know, if you live in a, in a community that doesn't have sidewalks, well, it's going to be hard to walk. You know, if you don't, if they don't have bike lanes or, you know, separate places to bike, then, you know, it's going to be hard to bike. And, uh, you know, so th those are just sort of the physical improvements that, that take place, but also setting up like the small group dynamics that really reinforce healthy habits. Cause, you know, we're social creatures and we just do what the other people around us are doing. Uh, and so sort of establishing these small group dynamics where where we all reinforce either, you know, exercise or healthy eating or, um, you know, book clubs, things like that, that really get our, um, our, our mind and our socialization strong, you know, establish our social connections. And um, yeah, so so applying those lessons learned to blues to communities in the U.S., has been um, has been the work of what Blue Zones LLC and ShareCare Inc. You know over the last fifteen years, and uh, Valley in Motion last year uh, worked to to have to, to 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 see what we could do to bring those programs and policies to um, to the northeastern Pennsylvania region. So we had, uh, you know, a series of focus groups. We had an assessment done. We had an analysis, a return on investment. You know, we found that if we, if we implemented these programs in the three county area, you know, surrounding Scranton, surrounding Scranton and Wilkes-Barre, that, um, that we would save almost a billion dollars over 10 years. And that's like saved medical costs. That's, um, that's productivity in the workplace, increased productivity. And then that's also, there was also regional economic impact there. So like to make these environmental, um, uh, improvements and environmental improvements that applies to the workplace as well. You know, they, they have this return on investment and you just have to make sure you're looking at those right, correct measures. Wow. That's exciting stuff. Uh, I love that, you know, we're looking at this for our area. Um, you did a great job explaining blue zones and the power of blue zones. Mm -hmm. Um, so pretty much what I'm gathering here mm -hmm. is that these areas are kind of set up for an environment of success for this, mm -hmm. right? right? It's not any right. one thing. So it's not, you know, and I think 
you know, today, especially everybody wants that silver bullet Mm -hmm. answer, you know, like uh, an apple a day, you know, Mm -hmm. will keep me forever healthy and life perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, Or, you know, if I just do 10 jumping jacks every morning, Mm -hmm. we're all kind of looking for this simple Mm -hmm. answer, right? But like, kind of, if we bring it back to even earlier conversations, everything is very interconnected. And Mm -hmm. um, it's a lot more complicated than that. But if you create the right environment, it really just fosters yeah. that, right? Yeah. So I think here in America, we are so hard on ourselves. Uh, I can at least say that I definitely am. And, you know, I'm not disciplined enough. That's right. why, right. you know, I went and got Dunkin' Donuts again this morning. Right. Um, and we constantly individualize it. Right. And blame right. ourselves. Well, you know what? In Sardinia, they must be smarter. They must be more disciplined. You know, they're goat um, herders. They're, you know, in Sardinia, they're yeah. goat herders. So like they're, they're just yeah. walking up and down these hills all day in a leisurely place with their friends, you know. Yep. <laughs> in fact, yeah, in it's Sardinia, not the men live longer than the women. It's like one of the few places wow. that, that happens because wow. men are these goat herders or sheep herders. And, um, and they just live the stress free, free life and they don't make a whole lot of money, but then it's really the women of the household that are supposed to like make it all work. And then they take on more stress because of that. <laughs> <laughs> like sort of a cultural. I, I hear that. I hear that. <laughs> but yeah, um, I do want to make that point that like when, mo- when our communities were first built, they were these self-contained communities where you could, where you're walking to church or you're walking to school or you're walking to your job, like things, they were all integrated like that. And so over, over the following decades, over, you know, last five, six, seven, eight decades, you know, we've, we've spread out all of our uses because of zoning rules where we separated our, you know, our residential from our business, from our industrial, from, you know, everything else. We've consolidated schools so that like, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for most people to walk to our schools. And, and so we've made our, our community car centric where we value the car over the people scale. And that's had this to me a very predictable result. You know, it's, it's just changed the structure of our communities so that we're more spread out. We have fewer social connections, fewer opportunities for just physical movement, you know, and so, and so the only exercise we're getting are those that we intentionally say like, okay, I'm going out for a run this morning, you know, and we really have to schedule it in like it's just another part, just another job. When really you should be doing these things naturally and our communities should be, should be set up the way naturally. So I like to say it's returning our communities to what they were designed for originally. Yes. Ah, love that because that's exactly it. You know, I feel like now we're trying to almost constantly buy these things rather than just designing our environment to include them. That's right. So uh, even in workplace health and safety, um, there was especially this period of time where like everybody wanted a sit stand workstation Mm -hmm. um, because we're sitting all day, but standing all day is not good either. And really, if you look at the studies and research behind sit stand stations, it's not that sitting all day is necessarily 
what's bad. Mm -hmm. It's the lack of movement. Mm -hmm. So standing still is also Mm -hmm. not great. Now we like obviously having some more control and flexibility, Mm -hmm. but what I personally even saw when we were implementing a lot of them is people barely ever use them after like the first month. Um, Because if you don't get the right setup, it's not easy to really move up and down. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of them aren't ergonomic. So you have to still have an adjustable, um, keyboard tray to get the right angles and height for that. So like a lot of them aren't ergonomic. A lot of them weren't easy or very adjustable. Um, so there were a lot of problems, but it's kind of like we're constantly looking for just this easy solution. Mm-hmm. Whereas a better solution would be, okay, we need to start incorporating movement into people's work day. Mm-hmm. They can't mm-hmm. just be sedentary at the computer. Mm-hmm eight hours, you know, we need to start incorporating movement. Maybe we give them tasks that require some movement. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and this is where like, so when you're considering these factors for blue zones in our personal life, okay, we need to start incorporating a lot more movement and this shouldn't be like, okay, well now I got to go buy a Peloton because I need to spend, you know, this hour right. on my Peloton. Right. No, it should be, how do we start putting it just into our daily life? So it doesn't feel like, um, you know, another task, exactly. another purchase, exactly. but just our way of living, because really that's what these blue zones are doing. They're not buying these, you know, the special unique Kiwi that, you know, gives you health right. or the latest Peloton. What they're doing is they're just incorporating these good habits, these healthy habits into mm-hmm. their everyday life yeah, in some ways, so that it's effortless. Yeah. In some ways they've resisted the modernization yeah. that sort of yeah. made all these additional problems. Yeah, I have to say, like, I, I'm I, like my old inner person comes out with like cars these days because I can't stand the whole having to push a button to open the trunk. Even I'm like, I could open a trunk, like, you know, like we're just trying to simplify. Mm-hmm everything I feel, you know, like I grew up having to roll the window. (laughs) Then it was like just having to hold the button down. Now you just poke the button. Now you don't have to turn a key. You just poke a button. Like everything is, it's just, I almost feel like we are like oversimplifying everything Mm. and unnecessarily in a lot of cases, like that could be an option if, you know, people need it. It really does benefit them. But are we like really just trying to take effort out of life and you know what does that have to our health and um and we don't just see it at home we see it in the workplace Mm -hmm. um i know you and i have had these conversations but you know it plays kind of into the culture but like kind of how you were mentioning even with lunch um for years i did not take my unpaid lunch because i felt this um like guilt of using my unpaid time to go outside and get some fresh air or walk somewhere. Like if someone went out to eat for lunch, they were pretty much looked upon like, Oh, mm, like not a hard worker going, having fun. Mm-hmm. Like, so, you know, you're eating these cheap processed meals at your computer, continuing to work nonstop. Then you don't want to be the first one to leave because once again, you want to prove you're this dedicated hard worker. Um, and that gets rewarded oftentimes, you know, and the the consideration for human wellness, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just it's it hasn't really been there. And I think with everything going on, the burnout and it's just too much at this point. And, you know, people are really feeling that mm-hmm. now, like and, you know, having being able to work from home, having a bit more flexible schedules, it really has opened people's eyes to, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be that mm-hmm. way. 
maybe there are better ways and things we could do. And with addressing even like these blue zone considerations, things like movements, um, these are absolutely things that can be considered in the workplace, you know, and need to be considered more by health and safety professionals, but by organizational leaders who actually have the decision to say, hey, this is the culture we want to foster. This is where we want to start investing some money. Um, you know, we want our employees to be healthy, to be happy, to come to work enthusiastically, mm-hmm. um, you know, and be realistic. Like a human being is not a machine you purchase to, for production. Right. They have needs, you know, even machines have needs, uh, you know, shut down time that they need and maintenance. And, you know, we definitely need to consider that for humans as well. And through doing that, I mean, you have much healthier systems and dedicated employees and, um, you know, our health does not end when we work, when we walk in the workplace, you know, and we spend like over a third of our life in some kind of work capacity. So, you know, that's not a a third of your life that you can just drop Mm -hmm. everything. Um, and yeah, so I think a lot of these blue zone, um, considerations to what plays into the health there, you know, that sense of purpose, Mm -hmm. the relationships, the social aspect, the movement, like all of that is just as critical to continue into the workplace for people's health there as well. How do you feel about all of that? (laughs) I mean, I agree. And and I feel like your comparison with like robots, the thing about humans is that we have this capacity for an endless generation of ideas. So that's something that yeah. the machine can't do. And so if you have a workplace culture where you're taking advantage of all of these ideas, then you're going to innovate and you're going to you know, improve better than your competitor. So I think like, you know, making sure employers are happy, sense of purpose, feel like they're a sense of a belonging. I mean, I think sense of belonging is probably maybe the number one main reason why people uh, are willing to leave their jobs if they don't feel like they're that connected with their just immediate, um, you know, coworkers. So yeah, so so that's that's the the great difference. Uh, this human potential is that we have this unlimited capacity for innovation, and so to take advantage of that with your workplace policies and culture, I think that's uh, that that's what I take out of your conversation. Yes, awesome. Um, I love that. And also with like including that sense of belonging, Mm -hmm. um, with health and safety, a lot of times the frontline employees, um, have the least amount of power or Mm -hmm. voice in their health and safety at work, Mm -hmm. but they're generally the most at risk of the hazards. Right. You know, so that can, by not including them, by not developing that sense of belongingness, um, that could be insanely problematic. Yeah, because those people are at the most at risk. And if you're not giving them voice or the power to do anything about it, that's a really cruddy situation to be in as a person. So, you know, really for an organization. I mean, yeah, there's all this sort of latent energy that's just sort of sitting there, all these ideas that are, you know, dying on the vine. Yeah, well, that's it. As a health and safety professional, I always try to empower each employee and make sure that they have a voice Mm -hmm. because if something goes wrong in their specific work area, machine, 
they're going to be the first to know, not me. Mm-hmm. You know, we only get out on inspections, you know, every so often and hopefully we catch that problem, but they're going to know immediately when anything is off. Yeah. So yeah. we want to tap into that, into that brain power, into, I mean, they're the experts, you know, so yeah. give everybody a voice, respect them, empower them, engage right. them in the process. They'll right. feel that sense of belonging, you know, they'll feel respected. They'll right. want to be there more, you know, so it's that same like community, sense of belonging, yeah. purpose, like really yeah. communicate, collaborate. Of like the opposite of that. Yes. <laughs> I, was a teenager, uh, I worked at uh, Crystal Soda, which was a bottling plant in, uh, in oh, yeah. and, and, um, uh, <laughs> well, there were, there were, there were people there that had a sense of belonging, but we didn't necessarily feel like we were valued by, you know, the management. And so what we would do sometimes, like if the, if the machines were doing moving too fast or there was sort of un, no breaks there, we would take a bottle of soda <clears throat> and pour it on the, on the machine. And then five minutes later, you know, it would break down and then you have to go in there and what went wrong. You know? So like, <laughs> I feel like that that's happening. That's the kind of thing that can happen. But on a psychological level, you're saying like, people don't care about us. We got to, got to take care of ourselves. And if it means, you know, throwing sand in the gears, which is essentially what we are doing, then we're, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> yeah. I see stuff like that so often still mm-hmm. today. Um, you know, some workplaces are doing phenomenal mm-hmm. and they truly care about the workers. They, you know, get feedback. Other workplaces, you know, I think they, they care. Mm-hmm. They just don't know how or what that looks like. And yep. they don't want to put maybe the resources into figuring it out because it is a lot upfront yeah. and it could be very overwhelming. But and just, I mean, yeah. I see it, you see it all the time, you know, and then people do get hurt. Mm-hmm. things do happen, you know? Um, and then at that point they're trying to, you know, fix things, but yeah, if you just listen to employees and respect what they have to say, mm-hmm. um, you know, and really value them, I mean, you just, everyone would be in such a great, a better place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So from there then, um, you know, I think we're kind of coming to the end of this, mm-hmm. but I'm going to, wrap up with um a couple guest questions okay so i think we covered you know the blue zones community quality life um gave people a lot of stuff to think about um you know how our personal health plays into the Mm -hmm. workplace you know they're you know we look at them separately but in the entirety of our health they both matter we need to be Mm -hmm. addressing them both organizations need to realize that so that they can make these changes and also improve the health and well-being mm-hmm. of themselves, their organization, their employees. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to make any final notes on any of that before we move into uh, some guest questions? Uh, no, thanks. I think we covered it. Thanks. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So this first one is related to today's discussion. Okay. If you had to simplify everything you know professionally and personally into one recommendation or piece of advice, what would it be? be happy and it's not in the in the fake happiness kind of thing but it's that if you're not happy at your workplace or you're not happy in your personal life like take those changes to to make yourself happy 
you know, yeah. make those changes, step up and do that. Because, you know, we only, we're all, this is only one life to live. And we can't, if we feel like we're trapped, or if we feel like there's nothing we can do about it, like take that energy that you have into complaining and channel it into making a change. I mean, that's one thing that I told, you know, when I was uh, in a supervisory position, I, I had three rules for people. The first was be happy, just what I said. The second was to collaborate well. And the third was to show results. But in order to collaborate well, people want to collaborate with you. And if you're happy in your position, if you're enthusiastic about your work, then you're going to encourage more people are going to want to work with you. And yes. that collaborating well leads to more results because that's the way that we get things done in groups. That yes. well-oiled groups, well-functioning groups show results. And so I think like being happy is sort of the core of that. Yes, right. I uh, love that because especially right now, you know, everybody's changing. They are trying to find happiness, you know, and at the end of the day, you know, what is any of it work putting in a million hours at work or, you know, being parts of things you hate mm -hmm. if you're unhappy, you know, so to be your best self, mm -hmm. to make the biggest impact, we definitely need to find some level of happiness in our mm -hmm. own life. Great advice. Two, what are two pieces of content that you absolutely recommend to everyone and anyone related to health, safety, wellness in the broadest of sense. Mm -hmm. So this could be mental health, spiritual health, financial health, and on any medium. So it could be a podcast, YouTube, book, movie. Yeah. So any two pieces of content related to health yeah. that you'd recommend. Um, let's see. Well, one, I would say don't watch TV. I think that's so bad for your health. <laughs> <laughs> and so even in, in our household, we don't have a TV. You know, we never. Have. No. No. I mean, wow, in this day and age of nice. screens, that, that sort of, yeah, uh, it's sort of been this workaround. But yeah, I've always considered my brain space to be something that I protect and that, um, you know, I, I don't want influences just sort of walking in there. <laughs> but anyway, so in terms of books, like I, I think a, a very important book for me over these last few years has been books by Jeff Speck who's a walkability expert. So he's got two books out there about walkable cities and sort of advice on what it takes to make your community more walkable, you know? Um, so it's got to, a walk has to be useful, you know, it's got to be pleasant and um, it's got to be one other thing. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's like, got to be advice about, uh, about how you design your community so that there are multiple that there are multiple uses, you know, we don't want to just live, most people don't just want to live in purely residential communities. And yet that's where most of us live. So, you know, to have, I think that's why there's a resurgence anyway, in downtown Scranton, because that's, that's a multi-use thing. People can walk to the different functions in their life. And, you know, people really value that as a quality of life part. So redesigning our cities, making that investment away from making them car centric and more people centric is more cost efficient. And it also, it's better for business and it's better for, you know, the health of the, the community, individual health and the health of community as well. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. I'm actually, I'm going to check out those books because yeah. I love the whole concept ever actually since meeting you and mm -hmm. talking about walkability in communities. Um, Cause I actually went to school down in Georgia mm. and 
I don't know how familiar you are with Atlanta and suburb Atlanta, but um, way different. It makes our area look very like walkable compared to the suburbs of Atlanta. So they really are like a lot of residential. And then you really have to drive to almost get to like anything. Um, Not many like small mom, pa places that I saw. It was more kind of like chains and you kind of drive to it. Whereas here, you know, it's interesting because when I brought some of my friends up here, um, they thought it was crazy that houses are on main streets even right? <laughs> because right. there it's so separated. So like, wow, look at all these houses, like yeah. right on a, a main street with, yeah. so yeah, Atlanta yeah, is so, one of the worst, worst planned cities in the United States. Yeah. And you see the traffic jams, like all this stuff because of it, because you do have to drive everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're fortunate enough that we still do have like, you know, churches and bars and restaurants generally within walkability Mm -hmm. in our area. Um, I know at least, you know, the towns around where I am, you could pretty much walk a couple blocks and get to a place. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, to think that we're in a much better place than still other areas of the United States. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, as these cities and suburbs are growing, expanding, like now's the time for them to really start, you know, considering these factors. Are we building poor design that'll never get us to like a blue zone um, level, you know? Yeah. That'll have all these extra costs down the line. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So another cool thing about our area, Mm -hmm. I think that we have a lot of potential to tap back into that walkability still. Right. Right. Yeah. Awesome. So I'm going to definitely check out that author. And then what is one of your favorite quotes and why I love quotes. Well, um, I like to say that um, power is the ability to work in concert with one another. And that's a quote from Hannah Arendt, who studied totalitarian systems in, uh, you know, from, from World War II, but, um, but she was prominent in the 50s and 60s and 70s. But, um, but yeah, so the power to work in concert with one another, that that's, that's, uh, that's what gets things done. And so it really changes, for me, it changes that mindset from competition to collaboration. And you should really be thinking about who are the partners that I can bring into the room that, that are, that are, that can apply themselves to this problem. And who are the people that are potentially going to be resisted that they can also be part of that, uh, decision making process. So, um, so yeah, the, the broad, the bigger the circle that you can make, then the more that you can get done. And so acting yeah. in concert with one another doesn't mean we're all playing the same instrument. <laughs> you know, we're just yeah. all on the same sheet of music. Wow. Oh, gosh, that's a great quote. And I must say, I don't think I've ever actually heard that quote. Yeah, it's from um, and I think, Yeah. Wow. I think that's a great one to share because so often I think when people think of power, you think of individualized power, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I have to have like the superior power be above to be powerful. So right. what a great quote what a great quote for right now in the world and sits very well with my soul i love it thank you for sharing it sure um last question and this one you know is meant to just get know you a little bit more so completely outside of your line of work or being a parent what are three things that you really enjoy doing for yourself Mm -hmm. well for me it's been running you know i've uh, I, i ran track and cross country in high school and then um, when I was ready to to get healthy again, ten years later, I had that with me. So, you know, I just I love running. Um, 
I like swimming now too. So over the last year, I've had too many running injuries, so I can I can't do it as much. So I, uh, you know, I've, I've gotten into swimming and 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 I'm starting to like that almost as much. <laughs> but the third thing for me is really important, and that's um, playing the piano. So um, that's also something I took piano lessons as a kid, and then you know dropped it for a while until I bought my first house, and then decided I wanted a piano in it. <laughs> Wow, very back cool. Up again and uh, and had the the muscle memory sort of um came back and now I play it just um just to sort of get in this transformative state where I can just be playing the same passage over and over again and and just freeze up my mind to think about other things and you know it's something physical um it's something mm-hmm. um I don't know you're always looking for patterns you can always sort of you know, pull more emotion to modify things, to change the pattern. And it just, it gets my mind in a state that's, uh, that I haven't been able to reproduce any other place. <laughs> oh, amazing. Yeah. I'm definitely jealous. I, uh, always wanted to be able to play an instrument well and mm-hmm. have not been able to accomplish that. But honestly, I mean, it's an art form that you found, yeah, you know, right. Yeah. An escape, an art, creative outlet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I kind of find that in writing. Mm. So, you know, I c- kind of put my mind into the paper instead of in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but love that. I'll have to hear you play the piano yeah. sometime. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, I think we covered a <laughs> lot. We had <laughs> phenomenal conversations. Right. I know that you and I could literally talk, I feel like, for weeks and still not even be close to covering everything I would love to talk to you mm-hmm. about. Um, but great episode. Thank you so mm-hmm. much for doing this. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah. Maybe we'll get together, you know, in some more episodes down the line, right. touch on some other topics, yeah. especially with your conflict resolution yeah. background. <laughs> um, so yes, thank you so much, yeah. Gus. Okay. Well, thank you. I've really enjoyed uh, talking with you. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. All show notes and guest bios can be found on our website at myhealthandsafety.com. That's myhealthandsafety.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode and had at least one damn that's good moment. You know, a moment in the discussion that just lit up those neurons in the brain. It may not be a whole new concept, but better clarity, visual, example, or tool to more effectively understand, communicate, or use on a concept. If you didn't have a damn that's good moment during this episode, well, then just damn. (laughs) Share your moments in the comments or on social media with us. We want to know what brings you the most value so we can strive to deliver more. If you enjoyed our content, make sure to like, share, and subscribe to our channel. 